You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club, a home for those interested in international trade, shipping, procurement, logistics, and air freight. In fact, all things supply chain in the Americas, Asia, and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by your host, Mike King, and produced in partnership with Demurco Express Group, a global 3PL that specializes in managing logistics to, from, and within the Asia-Pacific region. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Freight Buyers Club, which, as you've just heard, is produced with the support of Demerco Express Group. I'm Mike King, and you can find this episode and many more on all podcast platforms and on YouTube, along with a bunch of shorter video interviews and news insights. You can also find all this content on www.thefreightbuyersclub.com, where you can subscribe to receive every episode direct to your inbox. Now, let's get started. This saber rattling certainly is concerning for many of my members who don't want to get caught up in any kind of potential issue. So they're already planning now to shift back to the West Coast. A big part of that calculus is the increase in working capital as a result of increased transit times. Well, if you can go to the West Coast, you can cut that exposure quite significantly from Asia, right? In the coming months, as the shippers negotiate their service contracts with their shipping lines, the decisions they make there in those service contracts is what's going to spell out what's going to happen in the months ahead for the balance of the year. As you could hear from those clips, that 2024 could see a major shift of Trans-Pacific cargo back to U.S. West Coast terminals after a steady drift of shippers that favoured Eastern Gulf Coast entry points, the world's largest economy over recent years, or indeed some would argue over the last two decades. Should this happen, it will have major implications for container shipping and also for the ports, railroads, forwarders, truckers, and warehousing providers that together constitute the Trans-Pacific Ocean shipping supply chain. What is clear is that right now, there are strong trade winds that favor US West Coast gateways. And those gateways, of course, are equally eager to receive all this freight over to Noel Hasegaba, Chief Operating Officer at the Port of Long Beach. What's driving the shift back to the West Coast is a combination of things. The historic drought impacting capacity at the Panama Canal, the impact to capacity at the Suez vis-a-vis uh, -vis the incidents at the Red Sea. And here domestically, it's the lack of certainty as it relates to a, a labor contract on the East Coast. These three factors together will most certainly swing cargo back to the West Coast. And we're ready for it. As Noel says, there are three key push factors that favor the West Coast right now. Shipments from Asia by sea account for some 64% of the U.S. East Coast import volumes, according to S&P Global. But the Red Sea crisis that is causing disruptions to global supply chains is adding to transit times and driving up costs into the U.S. East Coast from Asia, reducing the attractiveness of the route. Low water on the Panama Canal is building in more time and cost into routings into the Gulf and Eastern Seaboard. And, of course, we have this looming threat of union action at ports there, too. We'll unpack each of these factors today. What exactly all this means should become clearer in the coming weeks and months. But first, let's see what we know now. Earlier this year, Levi Strauss & Co. said it had, and I quote, already shifted some product to go through the West Coast instead of the East Coast. And it isn't alone. The share of U.S. seaborne imports of apparel shipped from Asia to U.S. West Coast ports rose to 59.1% in December 2023 up from 56.7% in December 2022, S&P Global Market Intelligence data shows. 
In the first 25 days of January, the ratio increased again, this time up to 64.8%, the highest reading since October 2022. Import container throughput at the San Pedro Bay ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach is flying so far this year, with the neighboring facilities reporting year-on-year growth of 19% and 23.5% respectively in January. The West Coast more generally saw a 17% year-on-year increased surge in cargo. And let's emphasize another thing. This isn't a bear market. US imports are surging. Descartes Systems Group reported a 7.9% increase in overall container import volume in the US in January 2024 versus December, with import volumes in January this year of 2.27 million TU, up nearly 10% ahead of both 2023 and pre-pandemic 2019. Now, let me be clear also, this is not a bull market. There is no COVID-like demand surge or anything like it. But these are compelling numbers and in many ways surprising numbers, especially when some economists are still predicting a US recession this year. Already we've seen carriers putting more capacity onto Asia to the US West Coast routings. And these trends matter to our industry because the US economy and the Trans-Pacific shipping market have global significance. The Trans-Pacific trade in terms of global container shipping is critical as an artery connecting Asia to the biggest consumer market in the world, which is the USA. Big box retailers, some of the largest companies in the world are completely dependent on manufacturing in Asia that is using this trade lane to provide us consumers with the products that we use on a daily basis. That was Alexander King, branch manager for New York and New Jersey at the Demerco Express Group. He explained that there has always been routing competition for cargo between rival gateways and their supporting supply chains. And even while over the last two decades, East and Gulf Coast gateways have naturally attracted more cargo as local economies have expanded more dynamically than those in the West, the watershed or port hinterland of the different US gateways varies hugely depending on cargo type and season, as well as geographic location. In the past, a lot of our customers were based here on the East Coast, uh, specifically New York and New Jersey. Even when the customers are based here, a lot of their goods that they ship from Asia Pacific to the Trans-Pacific Eastbound, they utilize West Coast distribution centers. The reason for this is because of the cost of shipping from Asia to the West Coast, as well as the shorter transit time. We do also have customers that uh, do plenty of shipping to the Midwest, especially in Ohio Valley region, which consists of Cleveland, Cincinnati, around that area. And um, most of their customers are the big box retailers like the Menards, try to supply companies of the world. So we have to uh, deliver the goods to their distribution centers in the Midwest. We've been seeing that in 2023, we have shipped to the Midwest via the U.S. East Coast due to uh, significantly cheaper IPI rates from the East Coast compared to from the West Coast, even though there was a longer transit time, but the cost was significantly cheaper. But then uh, end of 2023, we started seeing the shift back to um, shipping IPI points to the Midwest via the U.S. West Coast. The reason for this shift to the U.S. West Coast in recent months are varied, but as ever, these decisions are down to cost, speed and risk. And where else can we start than the Suez Canal, where ongoing attacks by Houthi militias on vessels in around the Bab al-Mandeb Strait 
have now prompted all major container lines to route vessels around the Cape of Good Hope to avoid transiting the much quicker Suez Canal route to Europe and the US East Coast. As mentioned, those diversions have had reverberations across the shipping trade, creating all sorts of network and container positioning difficulties for lines and driving up costs for their customers. According to Lineolitica analysis at the end of February, charter rates have risen 30% since the end of December. Cape diversions have soaked up more than 7% of total global container shipping capacity and the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index had shed only 5.8% in value compared to its pre-Chinese New Year peak. Lineolitica expect capacity to remain tight on both the Trans-Pacific and Asia-Europe routes through March. Of course, these disruptions to US East Coast services via the Suez Canal have been exacerbated by delays and lower capacity for ships steaming from Asia to the East Coast via the Panama Canal, which is struggling with record low water levels. All of this makes the case for funneling Asian exports into the US West Coast all the more compelling for many shippers, as Bjorn van Jensen, Executive Director for International Transport at American Multinational Cummins, told me recently. I think it behooves all shippers who are heavily focused on the East Coast, of which we are one, to reassess. I mean, we've got cargo from Asia that would come up on pendulum services through Suez all the way out through the Mid and over to the US East Coast. Obviously, those are now seeing 10 days to two weeks longer transit times. We can't count on the Panama Canal all water service, but we are focusing more on the West Coast. And we're not traditionally a big West Coast shipper. A big part of that calculation is the increase in working capital as a result of increased transit times. Well, if you can go to the West Coast, you can cut that exposure quite significantly from Asia, right? And then it will cost some more to get it from the West Coast to where it's going. I get that, but I think you'll win in most cases in that calculation. We'll just take a short break. We'll be back with you in a second. This podcast is proudly produced in partnership with DeMurco Express Group, a trusted provider of global shipping and contract logistics services in Asia, Europe, and North America. DeMurco's particular strength is in Asia, where it gives shippers the freight capacity and local market expertise to streamline freight movements to and from the region, particularly for trans-Pacific lanes. With 130 forwarding and logistics locations across China, India, and Southeast Asia, DeMurco connects Asia with the world like no other global 3PL. You are listening to the Freight Buyers Club. The threat of union action on the U.S. West Coast through late 2022 until a new deal was signed last August prompted shippers to direct services via alternatives. But now we also have a similar threat to productivity and reliability on the U.S. East Coast. The International Longshoremen's Association, the ILA, represents over 70,000 dock workers on the U.S. and Canadian East Coast. The ILA's current deal with Port Interest, represented by the U.S. Maritime Alliance, the USMX, runs out at the end of October. Union President Harold Daggett has threatened strikes this coming October if he doesn't get, and I'll quote, a landmark compensation package for members. The ILA is also keen to push back on automation. A lot of this outspoken talk could be just part of the negotiations, as we saw with the ILWU on the US West Coast last year. But as John Gold, VP for Supply Chain and Customs Policy at the National Retail Federation explains, shippers are inclined to take union leaders at their word when they have alternative options open to them that reduce their supply chain risk. This saber rattling certainly is concerning for many of my members who don't want to get caught up in any kind of potential issue. So they're already planning now 
to shift back to the West Coast. I mean, look, the East Coast and Gulf Coast gained significantly over the past couple of years because of the ongoing challenges that the West Coast saw, whether it was through the congestion issues from COVID or the protracted labor negotiations that were ongoing and the slowdowns that we saw. So many retailers shifted to the East Coast and Gulf Coast. But now that that's a threat to them. You know, they want to make sure that they've got product that's coming in, especially because this contract expires at the end of September, which is right smack dab in the middle of the peak shipping season. Can they make sure they get their holiday merchandise in? So as they have their upcoming discussions and negotiations with the carriers, this is going to be on the table for them to make sure that they've got the ability to get product here. So many of those, that shift might occur earlier than normal because again, they want to make sure they've got the lanes set up and ready to go. So our message to both the ILA and USMX is get back to the table and negotiate. As John hinted there, all these factors will be on the table when shippers and carriers negotiate annual Trans-Pacific contracts. And a lot of those talks will be taking place at TPM 24 at Long Beach in the first week of March. Shippers, no doubt, will also be asking themselves whether US West Coast terminals can cope with any upsurge in cargo. Many, of course, are nervous considering the congestion and delays that were suffered during the COVID pandemic. Back to the National Retail Federation's John Gold. If you're going to see a significant ramp up in diversions to the West Coast, are the ports ready? Are the rail lines ready? Are the terminals ready? Is that conversation happening now to avoid disruption issues? Uh, that's certainly one of the things that we continue to push now is making sure stakeholders are talking to each other to know what's happening with diversions, how much cargo is now going to flow to the West Coast, and are they prepared so we don't get into congestion issues, which lead to additional costs and delays? Asked if the port of Long Beach was ready to handle a spike in demand, the answer from Noel Hasigaba, chief operating officer, was nothing short of adamant. The short answer is yes, with an exclamation mark. Uh, when you look at the fact that we have latent capacity, you look at how we were able to be resilient during the supply chain crisis, and we've learned so many lessons that we're applying now today. And then you look at some of these other factors that are impacting the global supply chain, whether it's uh, the historic drought in Panama, the incidents at the Red Sea, or even here domestically, the lack of certainty on a labor contract on the East Coast. All of these factors together spell a good recipe for success here on the West Coast. All of which is music to the ears of stakeholders in West Coast hinterland supply chains, many of which have been coping with the domestic U.S. freight recession for much of the last year. As Matt Schrapp, CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association, explains. We're anticipating an uptick in cargo volume, some diversion from the Red Sea crisis uh, and some from the Panama Canal. We have seen an uptick over the past few months, but I would say going back to November of 2022, through about you know Q4 of last year, while there was still strong retail sales, et cetera, warehouses were still full of inventory. And now we're seeing those facilities burning off some of that inventory. So we're seeing those orders. But yeah, folks were struggling. There's been bankruptcies. There's been consolidations. Folks just straight up handing in the keys and, and closing down their business. So it's been tough out there. Schrapp said any demand uptime would be readily met by supply chain providers who currently have ample capacity. We've got thousands of chassis ready to go, stacked up on top of each other, five high, because we've seen so much dip in volumes lately. Terminal capacity, I think as long as they remain efficient and do order enough labor to service the gates and service the ship side to get those boxes off dock, provide enough appointments for us to pick up that cargo, um, and then the trucking side, you know, honestly, because of the consolidations, 
uh, because of some of the bankruptcies we've seen, there are over 23,000 individual vehicles that are registered to do business just at the ports of LA and Long Beach alone. Uh, in Oakland, there's another, you know, seven, 7,000. Seattle, Tacoma, around 5,400 or so. So we're ready now. We're at vacancy rates above 5% in Los Angeles County for warehouses. Uh, during the supply chain crisis, it was less than 1%. So we've got some open space. As I said, inventories have burned off. So as long as we can get those boxes off dock in an efficient manner, we're not going to have a problem moving that cargo. As we've already indicated, how all this plays out may well be decided by the latest round of Trans-Pacific contract tenders. They are underway, and of course, it's entirely possible that West Coast market share gains may have already peaked. Just as likely, we could see these trends deepen. The latest information we have at the Freight Buyers Club is that many shippers are reluctant to sign annual contracts right now, given inflated spot freight rate levels. But given the heightened risk we've outlined today on routings via the East Coast, many have indicated that they will shift cargo if that lowers their exposure. As the saying goes, cargo is like water and it tends to find the path of least resistance. Of course, the final word has to go to the port of Long Beach's Noel Hassigaba. We're beginning to see the movement back to the West Coast. What's going to be very telling is in the coming months, as the shippers negotiate their service contracts with their shipping lines, the decisions they make there in those service contracts is what's going to spell out what's going to happen in the months ahead for the balance of the year. And when you look at the, the operating environment, you look at the landscape that the shippers have to navigate, I have a good feeling that a lot of those shipments that previously bypassed the West Coast through the Panama Canal or through the Suez Canal will come back to the West Coast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Freight Buyers Club, produced in partnership with the DeMurco Express Group. Please subscribe and follow on your platform of choice or sign up for delivery to your inbox at thefreightbuyersclub.com. This podcast wouldn't have been possible without the fantastic editing of Karen Ball and Tom Matthews. And finally, thank you all for listening. The next episode will be with you soon. 